Hello and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. Joining us today is Chris Kennedy, the host of the YouTube channel Displaced Gamers. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rick. It seems somewhat appropriate to be talking to you on the day that Doom turns 25 years old. It's hard to believe. 25 years? That's crazy. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you played the game? Um, I can't remember exactly. It's just kind of always been there for me. <laughs> I, I do remember distinctly, like, uh, you know, I do remember it not being there and playing Wolfenstein 3D quite a bit and Spear of Destiny. Oh, yes. Uh, but I can't pinpoint exactly when I started playing Doom. I think high school, I guess. I remember I remember playing it and just thinking, there will never be anything better than this. <laughs> you know, relative to the time. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's still playable today, but certainly things have changed on the game front over the last 25 years. Yeah, have you played the, uh, have you played the new reboot? No, I haven't. I've seen some video of it, but I haven't had an opportunity to play it yet. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a really good game for today's standards, but it kind of it kind of misses a little bit something that was really kind of there in the '90s era of gaming, you know? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. So you've been uh, running this channel, this place gamers for I guess what's it been like about a year now? Yes. So the the channel was actually born in uh, 2013. In fact, it just it just turned uh, five years old, but it five. became yeah hard to believe. <laughs> um, so just I guess kind of backing up a little bit when it first started. Um, it began as kind of a bit of a visual uh, podcast, like a vlogcast with my friend Ginger Smith, because we would we would get on Skype and talk about games all the time. And we said, well, what you know, what if we put this on YouTube? And so it had, uh, you know, maybe four or five episodes of us just sporadically doing that over the years. And uh, and then just this year, early uh, 2018, is when I said, well, you know, what if what if I went ahead and tried to do this full force, full time? And so as as far as the majority of the production is concerned, there are 39 videos, I think, on the channel right now. And the majority of those happened this year. And so it's it's really been fun. It's hard to believe that almost a year has mm-hmm. gone by trying to produce videos for it. And what what triggered that off? Like, what made you just suddenly decide decide to uh, do the channel? So when I started it on in uh, 2013, it was it was a hobby for sure. But also part of the reason why it started was I was doing software development professionally, and I felt that I was not really getting fulfillment in what I felt that I had to offer. Uh, from a sense of creativity. Uh, and so I said, man, I really wish, and I'd been programming for, for years, and I said, I really wish that I had a better outlet in order to to be creative. And that's what got the channel rolling. And I ended up in Seattle uh, in, in the summer of 2013, and the reason was because uh, for my wife's work. And so when I, when I moved out here, I kept my job uh, in Houston, and I kept programming remotely from home. And that separation from the people that I knew in the office kind of set me aside from what I was doing. And I could kind of examine what I was doing and say, well, I just I just don't know about this, uh, this programming thing. And so I turned the corner when the, the opportunity uh, arrived to leave that company and, and start up and try to do a, a YouTube thing full time. And uh, it's a slow-growing process, but I'm certainly enjoying it 
uh, much more than I, than I than I was programming so far. So yeah, it's been it's been quite a whirlwind of fun. And in a way, I mean, it is starting your own business, so it's it's kept me busy at all kinds of hours. But I really enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Because I think uh, I think I checked just before recording, and you're probably hovering around 700 subscribers right now. Yes, looking to turn that corner soon. I hope. <laughs> How, so how do you uh, how do you find the people or do they find you like do you go out and promote or do you uh, do you put yourself out there somehow? I should probably be doing a better job promoting myself, but I generally try to create the videos and go to places like message forums or Facebook groups and do self promotion. Self promotion is a very awkward thing I feel for YouTube because a lot of people tend to spam their their account and i i don't really like that but on the flip side i recognize that if you don't self-promote no one's going to know you exist you just get lost amongst a sea of creators so i do try to tailor uh whenever i produce a video whatever the subject matter is i try to find a facebook group or a forum that i'm already a member of usually and say, hey guys, I just created this video and try to tie it directly to them, which is a much more difficult thing to do than create some sort of social media write-up and paste it in as many places as you can. So fortunately, as you get this ball rolling, growth is rather exponential. And I know that I don't really have, but you know, I'm nearing 700 subscribers, which compared to many people is, is not much. But I have noticed that that YouTube YouTube algorithm kicks in and has started farming out the videos to more people that said, oh, you watched this video, you might like this game, this Displaced Gamers video. So uh, I'm happy to see that growth, but I also do need to focus on self-promotion, mostly through social media. Yeah, for sure, because it's like, because um, I know what it's like because of running the Classic Gamers Guild on Facebook is that... Uh, you know, anything under a thousand doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but every time you hit that check mark, it's actually a pretty big deal. You know, when you get past like five hundred, then six hundred, then seven hundred, um, and it it is a lot of it is true about just trying to get get more volume out there until somewhere in the algorithm someone says, "Hey, um, this is a thing that's going on, and let's try to let make more people aware <laughs> of it." Because you know, before everything's you know probably at this stage, a lot of it's word of mouth. But then, you know, before before you know it, people start saying, oh, I found you because of this. I found you because of that. Or Facebook told me about this or, you know, you're a suggested uh, viewing on YouTube. Yeah, it, definitely. At, at the beginning, it was there was <laughs> there were moments where I, I hopped on Facebook and said, OK, this is it. I'm just going to totally do a, a post to essentially spam all my friends and say, so I'm trying to do a YouTube thing. If you can watch it and subscribe, that would be really helpful. Thanks. Okay, bye. Uh, and fortunately, people, people hopped in and, and, and helped me out there. And so, and that was, I mean, I had less than 100, I think, at that point in time. So I think, um, I think a key thing is just to, if you find yourself in a conversation where your video is relevant, you should have, you know, no shame in just sort of posting it and say, hey, I did a video about that. But we see so many people come through that are just sort of, you know, you can tell clickbait as soon as you see it. You can tell when somebody just did this big mess of things that are supposed to be eye-catching and you know it's spam. Like, you can just instantly recognize it. But yeah, I mean, like you can t usually tell. I, I don't know what it is that makes people think that it works with some people, but you can tell when people are posting spam and they just make it look like spam. Yes. 
the uh, thumbnails tend to be uh, an also uh, a big go-getter. Just focus on the thumbnail, write a short little, hey guys, I made this video. You can almost see that same exact pitch for a video appear in many different places uh, from many different people until, eh, I, th I think you're really just, you threw this together and you're trying to get as many views as possible, which is understandable, but unfortunately something you have to sort through. How long does it take to put together each episode? Or on average, anyways, I know they'll all be different from each other. So I have a few different types of videos on my channel. I do one set that's called Facets of the Gym, where I pick a particular video game, computer game, and I pick three things that I really like about it. And I try to focus on doing something that's not related to just simply saying, oh, it has good gameplay, good graphics, good sound. Okay, thanks, bye. I try to focus on some of the things that are harder to talk about, and those tend to be four or five minutes in length. They used to be much shorter, but that I can usually knock out in, in less than a week and have it ready to go. Gamer Questions, which is a much more on-camera presence video, those I can usually knock out in two days. And then I have technical videos, which can take over a month to do. Right. So there's definitely a wide gamut of time that's required depending on what the focus of the video is. So do you work on these um concurrently? Like do they do you, are you working on some uh of the gamer ones at the same time while you're doing some of the more technical ones? Yes, I try to keep the technical ones uh usually just one at a time, but sometimes I'll have ideas for certain scripts and I'll juggle, you know, five or six different word documents at once. But generally, a technical video is always in production while the other shorter videos are being started from scratch and completed and published during that time. And I'd love to do, I mean, I love the technical videos, but they just take so long to produce to make sure that you get everything right, that the smaller videos, which I do really enjoy producing, are very helpful in helping keeping the channel alive during the time that I'm producing those technical videos. Um, and how do you decide which topics to take on? It's, it's funny because uh, I do keep notes. So I might be doing anything, anywhere, anytime and think of an idea. And so I'll pull out my cell phone and just write it down. Oftentimes, uh, I'll be sitting at my desk and saying, okay, what am I, what am I going to do next? And have I might have writer's block for a bit, but often I'll find myself in the shower, of course, and that's when you get your best ideas. And, and so so then I'll come up with a, an idea in there and, and try to write it down as soon as I can. Um, so I have an ongoing list, but even sometimes when I say, okay, it's time to start the next video, and I look at that list, I'll say, no, nah, none of these, and I'll try to think of something different. So it's kind of a mood thing sometimes. Yeah. Do you have any like uh, really weird places or situations when an idea popped into your head? Oh, um, I well, okay. So some sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'll uh, I'll be in in church on Sunday morning or whatever, and I'll say. Oh, and I'll come up with a, a really great idea and I completely tune out and I have no idea what is going on around me at the time, you know, and I see everybody stand up. And I'm like, oh, I need to stand up. I forgot I'm in church, you know, and so and uh, so, I mean, it can happen at any point in time. And I think and a lot of that just has to do with 
I mean, just my personality in, in general, I like to think about things. So I don't know if you can relate to this, but, you know, it might be time to try to go to sleep at night, you know, and you do all the things you need to do and you get in bed and you're like, OK, and your brain is is finds a seventh gear somehow. And, and so you start thinking about everything you just did over the last day, which somehow then turns into the last week. And your brain is just cleaning house while also coming up with new ideas. And you think, no, I just I just want to go to sleep right now. You know, so it's managed, which might be why I end up doing a lot of work at, you know, one in the morning or two in the morning. So I mean, I mean, that does happen to me, except far less productively. <laughs> yeah. So if I actually had good ideas that I could work with uh, that actually came to me at two or three in the morning. Uh, that wouldn't be so bad. But no, I, I have. I'm up at all hours of the night with insomnia and I just can't even do anything useful with it either. So <laughs> I'm sorry yourself a little bit lucky. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I've made it work, but at the same time, I often find myself saying, I just want to go to sleep. So, yeah. but into the story is basically, yeah, I mean, it can happen anywhere, anytime. And I just need to make sure that I write it down or I will forget because my mind will have wandered onto something else. Is there uh, an episode you currently have in mind that you don't really have the ability to do at the moment, but it's sort of like, you know, kind of um, in the distance, it's saying that you have a target that you have your sights set on? Yes, there are actually, so a lot of the technical episodes that I work on are related, and it's a bit of a chicken and an egg loop on certain topics. And I think one of the greatest struggles for doing the technical videos in particular that goes beyond simply doing research and making sure that you have all your facts straight is the entertainment aspect of it. Because I did a video on DOS, on the aspect ratio of DOS games, which, I mean, you say that. I mean, some of the people listening are probably falling asleep as soon as I say that. But, <laughs> I mean, I find it a very fascinating topic. But that yeah. script, I, I must have torn it up four times because I would start writing something that was that was technical and getting to the point quickly and I'd even go so far as to record it and then sit back in my chair and play it back and just say, this is boring, you know, <laughs> you know, just be, and I find that that's one of the greatest struggles is to, to be able to take something that's technical and put forth a lot of information while also making it entertaining and not dumbing it down just to make it entertaining. It's, it's a very fine balance. And I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening who are teachers who are in a classroom environment can kind of relate to that as well because they have topics that they have to present to a class full of people and they understand that, hey, I can't just spew whatever this textbook is saying. I have to engage people in this environment. And so I find, I find that's also true with, with developing these videos making them entertaining and trying to keep people's attention so they keep they keep watching which is very dangerous when your videos start getting long and by long i mean longer than five minutes <laughs> that's right yeah i well i mean it's uh i mean definitely good that you're trying to find ways to make things a little bit more engaging entertaining but i personally find i don't know if this is sort of a general feeling amongst viewers and audiences or if it's just me but i find uh being entertaining is awesome and it's great, but even if it's not that, as long as the information is concise and accurate and the information itself is interesting, that can carry itself a really long way. Because you get someone like uh, uh, that 8-bit guy, I think that's his name? Yes. The 8-bit guy, and uh, he, you know, 
he just is pretty straightforward, but he also delivers information very straight to the point concisely. And just, you know, what he's talking about is fascinating to the people that are watching that would watch his videos in the first place. And uh, he's actually doing pretty well for himself from what yes, I can tell. He does. So David, uh, the a big guy, he does a really good job on his videos. And I think that he connects quite well with his audience. That's, that's watching, uh, LGR, same thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. and, uh, and of course, uh, metal Jesus rocks. Who's a, a local guy here in Seattle. Um, I've had an opportunity to actually talk to all three of those guys in person. Um, and it's, they they have a really great approach to how they balance what they're trying to cover in their video with making it entertaining and i think that's one of the greatest struggles just just as i was saying earlier it's one of the greatest struggles to find cuz any particular creator can start off and you can watch any of the videos that these guys have produced within their first several weeks or months or even first year and say, wow, this is really different than what yeah. they do now. And you can tell that they've found their own course of evolution to really, you know, hit their stride and start cranking out those videos. And so I'm still kind of in that development phase myself, but those are three really great YouTubers who I think that anybody who's starting a YouTube channel right now or, or is looking to grow their YouTube channel can watch and say, okay, you know, beyond the editing, beyond the, the music, beyond all the technical aspects of putting this video together, what, what is the heart behind what each one of these creators does that makes it work? Well, I find, I, um, what amazes me just because, you know, I've been doing this podcast only like a handful of times now. So what amazes me when I watch things like your channel or uh, LGR, Metal Jesus, anybody really out, that's out there, even a lot of people who are just sort of starting out, uh, a, a lot of them speak very clearly. And that is something which I, people don't really notice this because they only hear the finished product of this podcast and they don't realize how much I clean up what I say <laughs> in order to not sound quite as awkward or hard to listen to because I stumble over my lines. You know, I, I do pauses and ums and ahs. I should probably like release a clip one of these days, just my unedited dialogue so people can see exactly how much I stammer before I cut it all together in the end. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, that's one of the, uh, I'm not going to say the hardest part, but that's a, already just like from the get-go, that's a sign which I notice when people just sort of sit, you see these people sit in front of a video camera and just start talking. And that's the first thing I notice. It's like, holy crap, these people can just talk so clearly and straightly without tripping over their own words. <laughs> right. Um, and a lot of that has all of these previous takes behind it, like you said, that nobody ever sees. Even just sitting down in front of in front of a microphone and reading a script, getting used to doing that, and then finding a voice that you feel is comfortable for the pace of the video that you want to do. I mean, that part of it happens over a course of time. You know, you get better. Oh, that's good. In terms of how you, not only how you present yourself, but also just you make fewer mistakes. But at the same time, I've gotten so used to. I can talk to reading a script in the early part of the year or last or previous years versus when I read it now. 
And when I would first start recording it, I would get to, you know, the third or fourth sentence and I would mess up and I would kind of stop, you know, take a breath and go, you know, I get I get upset because I messed it up and then say, well, where do I need to go back and start that again? Whereas now I'll be in the middle of a paragraph and I'll mess up a sentence and I'll jump back to uh, immediately to the spot that I want to start reading it again and I'll start reading it again. And sometimes I'll mess up six times in a row, but it happens within a period of 15 seconds. And I just sound like a broken record. But uh, I but because I'm so used to having to start over like that all the time, it just it just becomes second nature. And I'm less aware of it happening. I just I just do it. Whereas previously, I just be like, oh, <laughs> and have to and have to roll back. So and of course, nowadays, I could be I could start the sixth or seventh time. And by that point, yeah, I'll start laughing and have to take a break. But you know, but but that's not something I think you can just jump right to. That's another one of those things where, well, it's just from practice. It's just from doing it over and over again. That suddenly becomes easier to do in second nature. Well, that, that's good to know. That gives me hope for myself. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite episode that you've made so far, Wh- whether that's a final product or just your favorite to work on? The current one that I'm working on, um, I always feel like it's it's always the one that I'm currently producing or have just finished, you know, and finally right, dust yeah. off my hands and say, okay, that one. But the uh, the DOS boss, excuse me, the DOS aspect ratio video that I did that got torn up four or five times to finally get that one out. Uh, I was really excited to get that one out, and I also recognize that most of the people that are watching the Displaced Gamers channel are seeing, you know, the Super Nintendo aspect ratio video or or dithering on the genesis like those get more views than a dos related video just because i mean it is what it is but oh really yeah just because console gaming console gaming versus pc gaming and i know this is kind of tangent but you know there tend to be many many more people interested in that than than oh the old pc stuff you know or old apple stuff or 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 beyond but but yeah, but to finish your question, the uh, finally getting the DOS aspect ratio video out, I said, wow, that was that was a lot of work. Um, so I'm proud of that one. But I think one of the ones that is the surprise favorite is the uh, impossible jump from the DOS version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which in <laughs> itself is just on paper hilarious <laughs> you, 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 you know so i mean for the for anybody who's listening that hasn't watched that video or is unaware the dos version of ultra's teenage mutant ninja turtles shipped in its early stages it was unbeatable you would literally reach a point in the sewer where you had to make a jump that was way too long to be able to make as a turtle and so you couldn't beat the game unless you used the cheat code from what I could tell from your video, it's like it not only really long, but it's also got like a, a little bit of a ledge above you, so it doesn't even let you jump to the full extent of right. uh, the arc. But right, there's no headroom, and and the distance is way too far, so you just fall in the water and get washed out the sewer. But it's weird because I've never heard of that before, and I had that game as a kid, and I swear, I really swear that I have gotten really far into that game. And I've never come across the impossible jump, so I don't. I really am trying to figure out exactly what version I might have had, or what might have happened that, for some reason, my copy. I never came across that. When I was looking into it, I and you know there are always abandoned where you know versions 
you know, floating on the net. And so I said, well, I'm going to try to collect as many of these as I can just to find the different versions. And that's when I saw, oh, look, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles that was released in Europe, it got a fixed version of this. And I said, well, was there ever a North America release that had the fix? And so when I got my physical copy, I saw on eBay that it was version 2.0. And I said, ooh, hey, it literally says version 2.0 on here. This must be the one that got the update. But no, it was not. <laughs> it was not. And, that, and so I said, well, I mean, you know. And then, of course, these things are coming out in the days when you, you didn't just – yeah, download a patch or or something like that. You you know you had to either dial up a BBS or call call the company and say, hey, this doesn't work, and then they had to decide whether or not they wanted to support you. So, but if that yeah. was version two, then what was it that they fixed about it? It it must have been other things. I, there must have been other bugs or 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 you know weird system issues. I mean, of course, that was back in the day when you would you would buy a game for the PC. This is something console people. My console people. I don't mean to, you know, start <laughs> separating people into groups here. <laughs> no, uh, no. You, you know, but uh, you know, these days for a for a PC game, you know, you have uh, your graphics card and drivers, and and that's the biggest thing you have to contend with. Whereas, if you were buying a PC game in the '80s, your PC could be we could be a CGA. You could have colors, you could have monochrome, you could have, there were just all kinds of variables involved. Mm -hmm. So for Turtles, I mean, there are three different executables, I think, depending on which version, you know, if you want like a monochrome or a CGA or an EGA, they're all different executable files. So it could be that their release had something to do with some of the plumbing in one or more of those, but... They miss the. They still miss the map. <laughs> <laughs> so. well, what they really need to do for like a definitive update to that is um, number one, fix the impossible jump, and to take out the damn level. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. regard that. I just regard the entire damn level as just an error that just should not have happened. <laughs> Especially, I mean, in the area of the original Nintendo, a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, that's the end of the game." <laughs> you know, they would just declare it like, uh, you know, if anybody knows uh, Chris Kohler, uh, who did a podcast, Retronauts, and he currently writes for Kotaku, he was on a podcast and they were talking about Ninja Gaiden for the original Nintendo. And it, it, there's definitely one point where as the, the playable ninja in the game, you reach you reach a point where it does this cinematic shot of him looking at a castle in the distance and if the game wasn't already hard to that point, the difficulty ramps up immediately after that. So Chris decided to name the game Look for the Castle. So basically, <laughs> so basically, when you reach that point in the game, you've beat Ninja Gaiden because you found the castle. And there's just no reason to play on anymore. Uh, you know, so there are definitely some games like that, especially of that era, you know, where you feel, you know, justified. You say, okay, I've made it. I made it to the damn level in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've beat the game. So you move on. So. I will I, I will accept that, and I'll now say that I have finished that game finally. After all these years. <laughs> Today I have retroactively beat that. Excellent. The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Check the box. So, um... Do you budget for each episode, or do you budget for like you know tracking down a lot of the stuff that you might not have in order to put the episode together? Fortunately, a lot of the items that I use in the videos I already own 
for the most part. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that we just talked about, that's an exception. I did, I did purchase that on eBay as part of the production. But fortunately, a lot of the old CRTs that I have around that I shoot have either been acquired for almost nothing or I've just simply had them in my possession. And I started collecting old consoles probably in the late 90s was when I finally said, okay, hey, you know, beyond simply buying the latest and greatest game that comes out and the stuff that I already have, I'm going to start acquiring some of the old stuff and having a library of hardware and software. So so that's pretty, that's been pretty helpful in producing these videos. There are some things that I have had to buy and I just kind of take that as the as it comes whenever I say okay hey I'm going to need some extra hardware or software for this if I feel that I can buy it I will if I feel that the budget is too high then I'll just park that project and move on to another one and saying well okay eventually I'll be able to budget enough you know should the channel continue to grow I'll be able to budget enough to be able to make that video at a later date and pick up things in the meantime do you uh, do you have a patreon set up like do you take requests from uh, any patrons or I do. Anything like that? I do yeah. have uh, Patreon uh, slash Displaced Gamers, and I usually only plug that in the technical videos, but any donations made through that, I mean, go to the the channel as a whole, of course. So so, so if I start donating to that, can I uh, put in a request that you review Rule of Rose? <laughs> uh, possibly so. Uh, the uh, The Patreon page itself is uh, is pretty pretty sparse. It's connected to my account, but I don't have any any perks. So maybe maybe I can make that like a stretch goal, you know. So like you can you can contribute toward that, and I can say, well, you know, as one of my early Patreons, Rick has declared that I review Rule of Rose. So if I hit X amount, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that offer off the table now now that i know it's an option i'm uh, i going to demand a a review of uh clay fighter the sculptor's cut oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> oh as you can go broke buying games <laughs> <laughs> i'll stop now before i reach ultima mount drash oh man um, <laughs> some yeah the, how, how big is your collection right now uh it's it's a decent size i don't i can't really put a number on it but it, it definitely um it spans multiple generations um i know i don't have nearly as much as some of the the other youtubers that you see lgr's big box collection is pretty oh, impressive geez, that's, yeah <laughs> for example like, i mean that like covers his entire house doesn't it yeah it it just seems to keep going of course you know he gets donations for it as well but i mean big big box game wise i mean i probably i I probably don't have but maybe i don't know like 60 or 70 somewhere in there um they they're not all here console wise quite a bit more um but i'm not gonna open a retro game store anytime soon you know (laughs) with, with, with whatever i have so so as of right now, what's the next episode that you're planning to to release that you're working on? So I'm currently working on a, a technical episode that is about 525 line analog video, <laughs> which, oh, wow. which you're which sounds like, well, wait, well, what is that? But it's basically it ties together what 480i and 240p and how we came to talk about that. And it talks about an analog broadcast. I have a, a VHS tape that has a recording of the TV show Dallas from the eighties uh, on it. And uh, so I'm going to dissect that a bit and tie in how video games uh, use the CRT. And that has definitely been one of the most challenging scripts to write from 
both a technical standpoint and an entertainment standpoint. So fortunately, though, I have a lot of people that are are helping me out with it in terms of being able to contribute their knowledge. Oh, nice. How far are you into that one right now? So I did an initial scripting and recording and started editing a video together. And it's funny because part of putting together a video, you sometimes have to get into it quite a bit before you see just how your pacing is. And so I I did a bit of uh, work on it, produced uh, maybe about a half, the front half of the video, and I started watching it. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I have a good idea now. And then I went back and I started almost another script uh, and did a side-by-side old script, new script, and started re-scripting to a certain degree. And so I'm kind of through phase two of of that scripting. So I'll edit all that together, record it, and then I'll send it out to one of the tech guys that I'm working with, and he, he'll watch it, which he's he's been great and helped me with uh, previous things. But he watches it, and he'll point out anything that I got wrong, and then I'll go through it again, <laughs> possibly make changes and record it. And the reason I keep going on to tell you is because to give you a good idea of just how many, how much of a process is behind this before the finished product actually goes out there. And this so. is why I chose to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lot. Of, that's a reason why a lot of people do podcasts, actually. It's tough. It's tough to also not be overly ambitious when you start putting the video together as well. Because in addition to all the back stuff, the research, development, scripting, audio recording, etc., you get to the the fun, the really fun visual stuff where you start bringing in Adobe After Effects or or special effects, which the 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 uh, DOS aspect ratio video has a lot of animation in it that I hadn't you know really had any experience doing before, and I said, "Ooh, I can you know have." you know, 50 DOS games flying at you at the same time in, in different windows. So, you know, putting that together in After Effects and rendering it was fun, but certainly added <laughs> added a whole lot of production time, you know, uh, to, to get the final product out. So in amidst all this, do you get, uh, do you ever get any time to just like play games once in a while? It's, fun- it's funny you ask that because when I was doing my programming job, I had so much of a great cutoff of, okay, well, hey, you know, I'm off work right now. I'm going to have dinner, hang out with my wife, and then, you know, I'm going to play this game or whatever. And recently, I had uh, a friend uh, come over for Thanksgiving and I and, and stay with us. And I looked down and some of the consoles were the same games that were in there when she visited last Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when I realized... Okay, yeah, <laughs> like get, playing games is down a bit over the last year. <laughs> so, <laughs> but and the reason is because I guess a lot of the the gaming, so to speak, would would be you know capturing this footage or setting up this camera shot and getting these particular games. And so I am trying to do a better job of finding a way to divide the time of of just simply having fun in addition to okay doing this. That's work related so to speak so all right well uh you know what i think that's about all the time we have for today but uh, just before we end is there anything that you'd like to uh, shoot out there any plugs you'd like to make or any shout outs yeah if anybody would like to check out uh displaced gamers on youtube uh please feel free it's youtube.com forward slash displaced gamers and feel free to 
shoot me a message on Facebook directly and be like, you need to make a video about Rule of Rose or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever non-Rick named item <laughs> you, you would like to see. I mean, I appreciate any feedback and you can leave it on any of the videos as well because I am still trying to grow the channel and be entertaining. So, and I look forward to feedback from people and all the people in the Classic Gamers Guild are amazing people. You'd like to have a really nice audience of, of people consuming your, your work. So I appreciate they, any they feedback. They are very great people, and I'm very um, I'm very proud of the community we built. But you do realize they are going to just troll you now that you've asked for their recommendations. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, troll me. Go right ahead. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and um, hope to have you uh, back again in the near future. Thanks a lot, Rick. Uh,